0: As we all know, reality is replete with mystery and enigma. Bizarre encounters that defy all matter of logic or reason. The phenomenon known as the shadow being visits are one such example. Dark, murky figures that appear, often out of thin air, only to stand idly and gaze at their terrified targets. People who frequently report a sense of paralysis during these frightful visits. But who are these entities? And why are they so intent on showing up unannounced to people from virtually all over this planet? I spoke with paranormal researcher and author Nick Redfern to try and unlock this all-too-pervasive mystery. And just like the shadow beings themselves, where our conversation went was equally unexpected, when we found ourselves questioning the possible connection that us humans may indeed have with these dark and devious characters. Let's dive deep. Nick, it's a pleasure to finally have you on Higher Journeys. And, you know, I have to tell you, with all of the great research you've done into the outright bizarre aspects of reality, I thought it would be fitting, perfect, in fact, to have you on for our Halloween special episode, where well, we're going to take a look at one area of high strangeness that you are well acquainted with through your research. And that's the shadow being phenomenon, the shadow shadow person phenomenon, they're sometimes referred to as. So, if your game, shall we get right into it? Yep. Okay, yep. let's do so. it. All right. Okay. Well, listen, of all the mysterious phenomena we have that live side by side with us, I think, every day, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. I would say that this idea of the shadow being or shadow person is one that has always mystified the heck out of me. (laughs) And as I mentioned to you in our earlier correspondence, I've covered this topic with a mutual colleague, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, we both know, on several episodes. But I wanted to get your perspective on some of the equally perplexing and apparently consistent aspects of the shadow being and and who and why they may be appearing to some people and not others. That being said, based on what I've been able to gather, this is still an all too common phenomenon. Would you agree?
1: Well, it is, yeah. And I think one of the, well, one of the things that I've found at least um, is that it's a relatively new phenomenon as well. Really? Um, Well, I mean, I don't get many old reports, put it that way. Um, now, that may be different for other researchers who, you know, dug into it as well. But most of the cases I get sort of date back sort of last 10, 15 years thereabouts. Um, and I'm talking about sort of one specific aspect of mm. the shadow people, um, one that's become known as the hat man. Yes. We'll and into that. I mm. guess I get a lot of those reports uh, where you have this. Sort of shadowy figure wearing like an old fedora. Yeah. I guess I get a lot of those reports because they parallel quite closely the imagery of the Men in Black, mm-hmm. you know, the black tooth and the black fedora. Um, so I think that may explain why you know I tend to get more up-to-date cases because right. the you know it's sort of relative more to the Men in Black. But um, I'm sure you know other researchers that um, you know have covered other aspects as well. You know, they may get older cases, but I mean, it's an intriguing phenomenon. You know, this this whole angle of these creatures or whatever they are that look mm. essentially like a shadow. I'm
0: I'm glad you dove right into this hat man situation because that that's where I wanted to go next, uh, Nick. This I I have to tell you, I have gotten just in the last I would say three to four weeks, maybe maybe a couple of months, to be fair. Three different people, neither none of which know each other, who have told me that they have been visited by this cloaked entity wearing a fedora-style hat. And again, you know, I'm not seeking these things out. I have to tell you, these are people that I ha- happen to know personally that were not even aware that such a, a term as shadow person or shadow being uh, existed. So I want to dig. Let's let's just go right into this because I don't want to just talk about the hat man because I think it's so much broader than that. And yet,
2: yeah.
0: as I recall, really just a week ago, the last one came in. It was a friend of mine's son who said, "Alexis, he's seeing he's seeing a man not only in his room. Well, that, he didn't describe him as a man. This is a young twenty something year old, I would say, um, son of a friend of mine." who is mortified about this creature that this entity that's showing up wearing a fedora hat and a cloak sort of coat. Uh, I, I don't know. Let's let's dig into this. We might as well just go right there. Uh, what is with the hat?
1: <laughs> well, think? that's a good question, because, I mean, you can go back to the early days of the Men in Black mystery in mm. the sort of the late 40s through the early 50s. Um, when that, which is when the, the whole Men in Black mystery kicked off. And it began with a guy named Albert Bender, uh, who lived in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and created a group called the International Flying Saucer Bureau. And Bender was someone who was heavily involved in the early years of ufology, and then he suddenly quit and confided in a few friends and colleagues that these strange characters... Um, had come to visit visit him in black suits and warned him not to talk about um, his UFO experiences and his research and to get out of it if he knew what was uh, good for him. Now, at first, Bender didn't really um, sort of say too much about who they were or what they looked like, Um, and so a lot of the early researchers assumed, quite understandably but wrongly, that the the three MIB that visited him were from the government, you know, the CIA, the FBI, etc. But then um, Bender came forward further and said, well, it wasn't like that. He said they were these shadowy figures that kind of literally, um, rather than sort of knocking on the front door, you know, and being invited in, they literally kind of materialized through the walls and the doors. You know, they weren't, it didn't even seem solid. And yet they were wearing these um, fedora style hats, black suits, and they had these sort of fiery eyes, like shining eyes. And um, and it scared the life out of him, and he really did quit ufology. Now, that was the dawning of the Men in Black mystery, but it's intriguing that with hindsight, if we look at the Shadow People stories of today, what Albert Bender described was actually uh, quite close to the the Shadow People phenomenon. As I said, they didn't knock on the door, you know, they didn't flash ID cards. He was in his bedroom and he suddenly felt dizzy and lightheaded, had to lay down. The room was suddenly filled with this sort of noxious odour. Mm. And um, and then suddenly they materialised through the walls and the doors and, and warned him in a telepathic fashion to leave the subject alone, which finally he did, and um, he quit ufology in the early 60s. He didn't die until... Um, Two years ago at the age of 94 Wow. and in that entire period he just stayed in the background never ever did return to ufology.
0: Interesting. I wonder if he had gotten sort of crossed the line into you know obviously there are quite quite a few of us in the field that are researching but uh, you wonder those that are getting the, that kind of warning are they getting too close to the truth?
1: Well I mean it's interesting to note that Bender, Albert Bender wasn't just a researcher of ufos he was also someone who was heavily involved in the occult ouija boards um sort of trying to summon up supernatural entities he actually he lived in an attic room in an old house in bridgeport connecticut and he converted the attic room into <coughs> excuse me uh what he called his chamber of horrors which just as a joke but when people went around to visit him friends and colleagues they saw this attic room filled with all sorts of supernatural paraphernalia and also he'd created what he called a supernatural altar and he was someone who was very well versed in sort of things like ancient magic and today oh. what we call like chaos magic and things like that and he spent a lot of time trying to sort of bring forth um supernatural entities through this as he called it this sort of supernatural altar um so i think there's a good chance that Bender kind of invoked these things. And it was a result of his own activities that brought them through. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, that begs another question in terms of, you know, where are they coming from and what role does, does human consciousness maybe play? And, and bringing these characters about we'll get into that later but I, i'm st- I'm gonna stick with this hat thing Nick because it's just it just I, you have to you can only imagine my face when um, this not the gentleman but another individual again living in different states don't know each other wasn't yeah. aware of that there such a term exists but she said Alexis I j-, now she's been this is a woman I, I might as well go into this a little bit um well we'll call her Lisa that's not her real name who has had visits that uh, i call shadow people visits uh for years um i believe they ceased for some time she got married she said that it would invariably be when she's alone and then at the time when her boyfriend would come over she'd be fine well she's since been married for several years but told me she says alexis guess what i had another visit but this time the entity was wearing a hat and she says this is the first time She's seen it. She's described them in the past as having almost like a Spider-Man-ish looking sort of um, uh, persona, if you will, uh, kind of a Spider-Man, uh, you know, figure. Uh, so, yeah, again, the, here we go with the hat. And she's, when, a, when she told me, I got a look on my face that just I, I couldn't I just couldn't believe it. Even I could not believe it. Something's going on here. Have you seen the movie The Adjustment Bureau? Kind of an old movie at this yes, point. Yes, I have. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you've seen the movie, then you know that the hat played a prominent role with the the bureau, mm. and it's interesting that uh, it, at some point it's described that these these hats for them acted as sort of a conduit or source into an extra dimensional supernatural space. If you juxtapose that, even though this is a work of quote fiction, the movie. With what we're talking about here is perhaps these being interdimensional characters what are you, what are your thoughts about that and how the adjustment Bureau portrayed
1: well yeah I mean that, that's an interesting movie you know they 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 do sort of have that sort of shadow people slash men in black type of appearance except you know their suits are sort of gray rather than the typical black um, but a lot of people don't know that the the movie the Adjustment Bureau was actually based. On a short story by Philip K. Dick, the um, sci-fi writer. Now, if you read the short story, it's basically the same, but there's no hats and no suits or anything like that. In fact, you don't get a, a description really at all. Um, so it's interesting that somebody, when they made the movie, decided to sort of give it this spin of like the you know the old-style suit and the hat. Now, who who did that? You know, I'm guessing the, the screenwriter or you know, somebody who adapted the the original short story, but um, but it is intriguing, you know, that they chose to change that aspect of the story from, you know, these um, suited figures into sort of the more, I guess, like I- iconic, you know, uh, angle and mm. uh, appearance of the men in black almost. So I think I think you know, if you the people who know their shadow people slash hat man history. I think, I and mean, they watched it for the first time. I think they would instantly make the parallels. Absolutely,
0: know? I sure did. But the thing that I, I found so intriguing, Nick, was y- if you recall, the character played by Matt Damon was uh, eventually given the hat. Uh, by, uh, you know, uh, one of the Bureau who ended up being sort of an ally of his. And when he put the hat on, he was able to go from, you know, it it was shot in Manhattan, right? So Mm. he was able to go into, uh, I don't know, Grand Central Station and go through a door and all of a sudden he'd be at Yankee Stadium. Only when he had this hat on. Mm. See, again, I just, I I don't want to beat a dead horse, (laughs) but I just think there's something...
1: You know, I mean, it is an interesting question, you know, namely why... Do all of these things? Wear these hats, really? you know. The, the Men in Black, unlike the movie versions, which are, are presented as you know Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, you know they're presented as secret agents of the government. But the real Men in Black, you know, I've, I've done four books on the Men in Black, one the Women in Black, and I get a lot of feedback. And I would say, at the very most, two or three percent um, sound like you know they came from the government. A good ninety-seven, ninety-eight percent are these sort of pale-faced, skinny guys in old suits and fedoras and they have mind-control powers and they, you know, they literally walk through walls and doors and, um, you know, and you have to wonder, is the the hat just there for effect? Or Mm. does it play a different role? I mean, you know, it's interesting which, whatever the answer is, I think one of the reasons why people get sort of creeped out by the Men in Black and the Shadow people and the Hat Man is because that image of like the black suit and the fedora it kind of creates an atmosphere of authority you know and i think that um i think that's an important aspect that people when they see them or just they think of that image it's almost like intimidating to them Mm -hmm.
0: well fear is certainly a common denominator in just about every story that i've taken i think i can uh, name one individual who also uh, has been seeing, we're kind of using the terms hat people, shadow people interchangeably in this conversation. Okay. And I believe her description was of a of a figure wearing a hat. But she said, Alexis, I've just gotten so used to it. When it showed up, I would just acknowledge it and go back to bed and not be afraid. That's, I think that's just a one-off. But let's talk about this fear factor for, for a bit. You know, we've heard Nick about how, assuming these entities exist, and I believe there's a spectrum of entities that exist, they feed off of the fear. Fear almost acts as a form of sustenance for them. Uh, hence, the reason why they're they're going after, scaring so many individuals and not to mention our, there are other forces that are <laughs> out to you know, put fear in the minds of the masses. We won't go there today. <laughs> but fear is uh, the order of the day, it seems. What are, what are your thoughts on the sustenance, the food uh, aspect as an energy source, really?
1: Yeah, well, I actually did a book earlier this year on that subject called Paranormal Parasites, because a lot of people that contacted me over the years, um sharing their stories on the shadow people, the Hatman, the men in black, and not on every occasion, obviously, but every so often there would be a story where the witness um, saw one of these creatures and then so the, le- the next day they woke up, you know, feeling like they could barely make it to the living room because they felt that weak and tired. And it coincided where in the early hours of the night before, um, you know, they'd had a bizarre and traumatic bedroom based encounter with something like the shadow people and the hat man and then you know this was 2 or 3 a.m they wake up at 7 or 8 a.m in the morning and as I said you know they're just so exhausted they feel like they're going to pass out they have no energy one described it um as if you know you hadn't eaten for seven days or something you know and your body's just so weak Mm. another one described it how uh, a diabetic must feel you know if they miss breakfast and lunch and then by the time dinner comes around, they start to crash, you know, and they and get the shakes and don't feel well. So I actually have, more, I would say that it's not certainly the uh, the majority of the cases I get that are like that, but there are still a significant number that do suggest to me that something is being done to the people in terms of literally draining them of their life force and mm. so on. Now, the other aspect of this is that, you know, that the fear factor. Um, the one thing that the men in black and the women in black are very good at doing is frightening people and terrifying them and intimidating them. And at one point, you know, I, I used to think this was just a means to shut them up. But what I actually came around to believing or concluding was that it wasn't so much intimidation. It was almost as if the threats were a ruse designed to actually just create fear and high states of emotion in the, uh, in the witness, which they can then feed upon. In other words, you know, if there's no threat, there's no terror, you're not going to have that amplified um, energy coursing through your body and mm-hmm. adrenaline and so on. But if you plunge the person into that state of terror, and what better way to feed on that high state of terror? So I think, I think there's a possibility the, that the actual threats are not intended threats. The whole purpose is to create the fear mm-hmm. based around the threat.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And as you're describing that, I'm thinking of the classic nightmare, I mean, a real nightmare. I had one, oh, I don't know, maybe a week or two ago. I don't have them that often. But when you wake up from uh, a nightmare, you realize you've had one. Have you ever had this where you just also feel this sense of being drained? I mean, it, heart's pumping, like it, it it's so real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you wonder what's happening. Yeah, and
1: I think. Yeah, one of the weird things I've got occasionally when you get a really kind of weird dream is when you see faces in the dream people or entities in the dream who you know you've never met or seen and Mm. yet their faces are there so it's like if it's just a dream how on earth could you visualize them if you'd never met them before you know and um so that's one of the reasons that leads me to believe that when we sleep you know we do interact with supernatural entities you know the the whole issue of sort of astral travel you Mm. know when you're sleeping that kind of thing um I think there's far more to that than just sort of, um, you know, bad dreams based on whatever happened during the day, you know?
0: Right. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's a whole nother discussion in terms of, I call it the dreamscape. I, I absolutely agree. That's a good point that you bring up that, you know, if you're seeing faces that you've never seen before, where are they coming from? You know, let's talk yeah. about, let's talk about this whole idea. I, I heard you mention one individual you you were saying, uh, Believed themselves to be visited somewhere around two or three. This brings me to this whole idea, Nick, of what has been referred to as the witching or devil's hour. You know, this is, I know, come up in sort of a religious context, but um, what's with the time? Tell me about, in terms of your research, have you noted any particular time frame, any common thread there with the time frame of, of maybe in, within the two, three, even four o'clock hours? If you're enjoying this episode and want to get more conversations about all things intriguing, inspiring, and unusual, be sure to subscribe to Higher Journeys on YouTube. And once you do, don't forget to hit that notification bell to receive an announcement as soon as a new episode is posted. And now, back to our show.
1: Yeah, I mean, most of the cases I get are sort of in the early hours of the morning, maybe 1.30 till about 4 at the very latest. I get very few reports where somebody, you know, has had an early night and they're woken up like 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock in the evening. And in the same token, I don't think I've got any cases at all uh, where the time's like 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the morning. It's always sort of 1.30 till 3.34 or something like that. And I think one of the reasons or one of the things to be aware of is, you know, this is when you're in your your deepest sleep state and also when you're at your most vulnerable as well. And I think that could have an angle to it when you're in that really deep state of sleepness. And if these things want to feed on you and manipulate you, the best way to do it is when you are in that deep state and you are at your absolute most vulnerable, which you're actually not as vulnerable, um, like at nine o'clock when you're, you're sleeping. But, you, you know, your mind is still worrying and um, you're not in that extremely deep state. Hmm. So I think the timing could actually be related to these things, knowing that that's when you're the most vulnerable.
0: That's a good point. That's a very good point. I think everything's on the table. You know, one thing I have thought about when I don't know that there's any evidence to show this, but are could it be that the what I call the dimensional veils, assuming there are multiple dimensions, the astral, uh, the uh, uh causal and beyond, certain times of the day or night where they may be thinner than others? Well, yeah, I
1: mean, that's that's an interesting point, yeah.
0: No, yeah. I mean that um, again. That's a tough, that's a tough one to be able to to measure in any way. But
1: yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Well, you know, but I mean, these are all sort of you know potential aspects of the phenomenon that you know if we put them together, we might sort of see um, you know parallels and patterns developing, no matter where it is in the world. And I think you know that's an important thing to note as well. It's not just something. That belongs to one particular country or one particular culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is something that you can find in numerous cultures around the world. You know, right. and um, and similar things as well. That you know, predatory things that appear in the dead of night.
0: Mm-hmm. Although you know, I'm thinking of Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and she she has often drawn a correlation between shadow beings and the jinn, of which mm. is uh, indigenous to the to the Arab world. Uh, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a whole other thing. She's really gone deep into that, but nonetheless, there's clearly just so much mystery. I, I know you've written about, um, keeping and keeping with the, the state of sleep, the hypnagogic state being sort of a primary yeah. t- target time. Talk about that for a little bit,
1: mm-hmm. if you would. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, sleep paralysis, the, uh, you know, this particular state that's um, just bet everybody has it at least once in their life. I think i 've had it like two or three times over the course of i don't know twenty five years something like that um, you know, and that they are eerily similar now you know you speak to doctors, medical experts, sleep experts they 'll say it 's just you know the human brain uh, just misfiring, and you know you 're in this state where you 're unable to move and you have a sense of something predatory and dangerous coming towards the bed, but you can't do anything about it because you're unable to move. Now, I think, you know, one of the intriguing things about these cases is the, the similarity. Now, certainly the creatures or the entities, you know, uh, pop up in all sorts of different forms, uh, although the Hatman, man, you know, is kind of like a disturbingly regular one that people report. Um, but what I would say is, is that if this was all just born out of the the mind and you know our subconscious etc etc why is it that we see certain types like for example you have the shadow people the hat man um in newfoundland they have one called the old hag Mm -hmm. um you know why is it that there are certain archetypal things you know why isn't somebody seeing a rampaging elephant running around the bedroom, you know. <laughs> Although I'm sure that's out or, there
0: somewhere, but yeah, no, you're yeah, absolutely well, yeah. right.
1: Or, I don't know, like a, a gorilla swinging off the <laughs> lights, you know, that kind of above you. Yeah. That, that doesn't happen. Mm. You know, it's always these sort of certain particular types. Um, and you can go back throughout history. Um, you know, ancient Babylonia and tales of predatory creatures like Lilith, you know, the mm-hmm. incubus, the succubus. Um, and and again, if it was all just in the mind, I would expect us to see a massive, wide range of entities. Right. And I would also expect to see some differences in the nature of the experience, but it's typically always the same. People have a sense that something's coming up the corridor towards the bedroom, or is already in the bedroom, and, They have an instinctive, sudden realisation that these things, whatever they are, are dangerous and predatory. And the closer they get to us, the more and more difficult it is to move. And then when you finally, or if you're finally able to break the spell, they're gone. And I just find it so intriguing that these cases are almost identical. And I think if it was just in the mind there wouldn't be so many uh, almost identical aspects to it. It would be, you know, completely different.
0: Agreed. Oh, boy, well, that just opens up a whole can of worms, Nick. You know, I'm thinking of the Jungian archetypes, definitely, uh, because there is sort of an archetypal nature to these although I've heard of cases of not necessarily a a black elephant or (laughs) or a gorilla but I have heard some you know some unique you're gonna have uh, all sorts of versions but there is obviously a common thread I agree with you wholeheartedly but you know that brings up another thing I mean there's so many ways we can attack this this whole mystery and I don't know that we'll ever uh, solve the mystery but this whole idea i know you're familiar with the tulpa phenomenon which i also find it, yeah. uh, intriguing in terms of as a matter of fact that uh, i had put out a little a shout out on on our facebook page that we would be speaking with you and wanted people to, to weigh in on if they've had their own experiences and boy did i get quite a few responses but one person asked uh, could these shadow beings that show up be some aspect or throw off of our own consciousness um so, you know, that relating to the tulpa, tulpa being sort of a, we assume, some aspect of the consciousness of another that take on a life of their own. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, yeah, I, I actually have a, a deep interest in the whole tulpa or mm-hmm. thought form, anglers, they're also known. And I, I wrote a book earlier this year about the Slenderman mm-hmm. uh, phenomenon You called, called the Slenderman Mysteries. And we know, for example, that the Slenderman started out in 2009 as an internet creation as part of just a contest to see who could come up with the creepiest, um, creepy character for the internet era. You know, it was kind of like, um, the internet's version of, um, Freddy Krueger mixed with Michael Myers, um, Jason Voorhees and all into one, you know, and, um, the guy who more than anybody else caught the attention of everybody, um that entered this contest with um, like artwork and um, photoshopped photographs of these strange creatures of their own design. The one that really caught everybody's attention was the Slender Man created by a guy named Eric Knudsen. And he created this image of this tall, seven to eight foot tall, skinny, spidery type humanoid in a black suit and a totally faceless, Face, so no eyes, no nose, no mouth, no ears, just vague shadows where they should be, and these weird uh, tentacles flickering out of its back, and uh, and lurking in the woods. And so it was—it was like a very strange and sinister-looking character. But what happened was that in no time at all, it became almost like an internet meme, so to speak, in the sense that you had hundreds of thousands of kids and teenagers obsessing on it and writing their own stories, etc., etc. And then suddenly, a few months later, people started to claim they'd seen the Slender Man in the real world sort of looming over them in the bed in a situation not unlike sleep paralysis. Other people felt they woke up in the night and felt compelled to go to the window and saw him lurking in the woods outside their home. Um, but we know for sure, absolutely, that the Slender Man was a creation as a bit of entertainment, but then it suddenly strode out of the world of imagination and fiction into where people see it in the real world so my my theory at least is that possibly what we 're seeing with the Slender man now is a thought form slash tulpa version of what did begin as a fictional entity, but so many you know literally hundreds of thousands of kids um, you know were obsessing on this for years. And I think, you know, the idea that focusing on it, dreaming about it, writing their own stories, uploading artwork and photographs, and you have like this almost like a collective mindset of kids in six figures, you know, all thinking about it. And a lot of these kids, you know, by their own admission, isolated and lonely and just, you know, in their bedroom, just thinking about the Slender Man. Then you have to sort of wonder... Does that entire process then allow for the existence or the creation and existence um, of a real sort of mind based entity that was born originally out of nothing but fiction?
0: It's fascinating. And one sentence comes to mind. I don't know if you're familiar with the the channeled workings of Seth uh, by the late uh, author Jane Roberts. And his sort of oh, yeah. signature phrase, of course, the Seth material is, is uh, it's everywhere and still uh, amazes me. I've studied it for years. Consciousness cre- creates reality, not the mm-hmm. other way around. That was one of his signature phrases. Or, why see why are you? You create your own consciousness. Maybe that's what's going on. And could it be. Just a question that the maybe not all, but in some cases, the the energy that has been that's gone in maybe through the fear of others that have seen shadow people, may be replicating them in other people's lives. And, and, and do you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's a, just yeah. an interesting angle to look at.
1: Yeah, and I, I think although I think these these entities are clearly, you know, they have their own existence—a strange existence—but they have their own existence. But I think one of the well, not think. I know that the, one of the major issues is that they seem to have to have or to need um, like a connection with us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It, it's all, although they terrorise us and they frighten people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it's almost as if this this strange kind of um, connection which. They cannot get away from, you know, they they need us in a weird way that we don't fully understand. And, you know, a lot of people are drawn to them as well, even though they're sort of sinister and dangerous. There's also this lure of trying to figure out what they are. So it's almost like a, you know, like a symbiotic relationship, Mm -hmm. but but we don't know why it is, you know, but it's like they need us as much as we seem to focus on them as well.
0: Right. Absolutely. I agree with that. Really neat things, neat entry points we're taking today, Nick, and talking about all of this. Let me read another um, a Facebook post. Someone um, I, we, we talked offline about this, and I want to share with our audience an image that I got from someone who reached out to me with his own shadow person experience, and his name is Yannick, uh, and he gave me permission to share uh, this image and his name with you all out there. Uh, he has spoken publicly about his encounters, including what we would call a more classic alien Uh, encounter. But in this image, which you've seen, Nick, uh, is uh, very interesting. Here's what he had to say. Let me just read it to you. He says, Hi, Alexis, just sending you one of my experiences. It's regarding your shadow being posted on Facebook. He said, I had this in 2013, football player sized shadow people with huge, perfect round helmets on four to five beings moving around my bed at night after having a black hole portal appear in my bedroom doorway now you've seen this image you, we we kind of talked about it and by the way i'm going to have a have a uh, a screen image for for the audience to see there he has in this sort of word bubble emp exclamation point let's let's dissect this image a little bit nick what do you what do you think and it's not funny obviously he was frightened as well but have you seen anything like this before or the way he's describing it
1: um not not exactly, no, but um, but I mean, you know, I mean, th- these things do seem to come in different shapes and sizes, you know what I mean? And I think we may actually have never have seen any of these things in their real form. Mm. You know, maybe they just manifest in different ways, perhaps even sort of um, are able to haul imagery out of our subconscious and, and pick up on something that from our subconscious that they realize is going to be the worst thing that we could see, you
0: know? Mm. yeah. Well, the football, he, he says they're wearing football helmets in this case. And yeah. Again, another head coverer. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I
1: mean, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, even with the women in black, I mean, people describe them as wearing, they look pale, skinny, They they don't look entirely human, and they wear... Uh, typically, people said that it was clear they were wearing like long wigs to try and hide their face, and then, of course, so you 've got like you haven 't got a hat component, but you 've got this weird hair on the head then, like with the black eyed children who are very mm. similar you know in, in particularly to the uh, men in black phenomenon, you know both groups try and find a way into the house, and very often, you know the kids are wearing a black hoodie with the hood up, so again, there you have like a like a hat-type component as well.
0: You wonder if they could be, I don't know, trying to mask the cranial, the you know, the skull itself. I mean, this brings yeah. us into the whole idea of a more classic, quote, alien or ET type of presence. Again, just a, just a question. But, uh, well, you know, you, you talk about the, again, we're in this conversation sort of using the MIBs, the hat people and shadow people sort of interchangeably. And yet, they some of them seem to have distinct features. Now, going back to the individual that I told you about earlier, who's uh, well, the son who has been uh, haunted by and tormented by these these entities describes, a, a, you know, a figure in a hat. But there's he described it as being completely black. In other words, there were no distinguishable features, no pale skin. The entire from head to toe was black and also described as very three-dimensional, very opaque. Does that sound familiar to you? Or?
1: Well, I mean, I guess most of the cases that I've got, uh, when it comes to like the shadow people, they are sort of typically looking like a complete shadow. But I've got a few cases, and it's not many, but I do have a handful where it didn't actually look like a shadow as such but look like a real solid person with substance but who were sort of like totally black from head to foot and we're Mm -hmm. talking about like a like a like a very deep black oily kind of appearance Mm -hmm. several people told me that kind of used that same phrase one described it as like oily like an oily you know if if you bought a can of paint black paint that kind of thing you know sort of shimmering and shiny. And other people said it looked like, um, or one person said it looked like like wet, as if, you know, it was um, almost like the, the entity was made out of black liquid, that kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: um, huh. but others, you know, it just looked like a shadow. But um, so there are a few significant differences, you know, in some of the cases, at least.
0: Right, right. What about personality traits, Nick, and the people that you've, that you've, surveyed or or spoken to have you have you gone into that aspect of research in terms of finding any correlation in personality types that may be seeing these entities
1: well I think the biggest correlation that I found is that um, a number of people who I know personally who have had experiences with the shadow people and similar entities um, these events didn't sort of come out of nowhere um, a significant percentage of them were sort of heavily involved in the paranormal or the occult and had, uh, engaged in trying to summon up supernatural things.
2: Here we so, go again, yeah.
1: you know, I mean, if you go down that path trying to something, summon up something, well, then you may be successful, but it may not be successful <laughs> in a positive way, you know. Mm. And uh, that's something i found in a lot of cases that, yes, it does sometimes happen at random, you know, where people don't have any involvement or even interest at all in the paranormal, and they sort of, you know, see the hat man and the shadow people. But I have to say, more often than not, the people who I've spoken to um, had at least some kind of prior involvement in the paranormal before they saw the shadow person or the, the hat man or whatever, even if it was just down to you know, immersing themselves into books on the supernatural, but in other cases, it, like Albert Bender I mentioned earlier,
2: mm-hmm.
1: in certain cases it was more along the lines of trying to invoke something or open a door, and, you know, maybe they success uh, succeeded, but not in a great way, you know.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, because as I'm... Listening to you, I'm thinking of the cases that you've taken far more than far many more than I have. But uh, interestingly, or conversely, I should say the people that I have talked to, as I said, not only were not, uh, f- first of all, not familiar with the term shadow being or shadow person, but had absolutely no interest in the paranormal. Yeah. In fact, some of these people only came to tell me about their experiences or people that they know that have had them because they wanted to know what kind of work I did <laughs> as a researcher. And one thing, you know, one thing leads to another and, oh, I've never told anyone this before, but this happened to me. Yeah, I'm sure that's happened to you as well, as you tell people yeah, what you do, I mean- but Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's an important thing is, like I said, um, you know, certain times the person or the the victim has been involved in the paranormal. But as you said, there are other cases where there's not even an inkling of any interest or any supernatural activity or research or, you know, reading books on the subject. It just comes out the blue. And as you said, the people haven't even heard of these phenomena until perhaps they happen to just sort of you know, the channel flipping and they see something or, you know, they hear a, a mm-hmm. new movie or something and think, wow, that sounds like what I saw. And then they're prompted to contact people. But I think there's probably a lot of sort of silent witnesses out there oh, yeah. and silent, not just because they're, you know, concerned about whether they should go public or share the story, but simply because they just don't realize that it's something that countless other people are seeing as well. They just put it down to a You know a bad dream because to them it was because they had no other inkling of the paranormal
0: Hmm. that's interesting again thinking of one one individual she um who had been having these experiences for years had not thought to to tell anyone and again she uh, told me because uh, she knows I, i i'm in this field but I, I, I'm thinking to myself, now. Th- I'm going to put you on the spot, Nick. Have you ever seen anything like this? And then I'll go into what I was going to say. <laughs>
1: have you? Have well, you- I actually had one um Hatman type dream. Um, this would have been I, maybe seven, eight years ago, something like that. And it was just a very, I, I cannot remember much of the details at all, but the weird thing was it was actually in the dream. It was at the house I was in as I grew up as a kid. Um, um, and I was sort of about seven or eight, something like that. And all I can remember is being in the hallway in that house and opening the door and then seeing this, um, like the the classic um, hat man figure, you know. But it looked like it was comprised of like, imagine like um, a fog that was solid black, but you could still tell it was like a fog, it was like a gas, you know, or a fog, rather than something solid. And so that's how it appeared to me it was like um like black smoke almost but in the form of a of a silhouetted man in a black
2: hat mm-hmm.
1: and it probably lasted for uh 15 seconds 20 seconds but and i woke up right after and in the early hours but it was enough to wear out to this day i can still quite vividly remember the the tiles on the floor in that house that i grew up in and um hmm. And it was, and yeah, it was totally that house, and um, and that imagery stuck in my mind of like this, um, like a black, smoky version of a of a person, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, at the time you had the dream, had you been into this work?
1: Yes. Oh, well, oh, yeah. well, there
0: you go. <laughs> yeah. so, um,
2: I'm,
0: I'm being somewhat facetious, but based on what we've been talking about, it wouldn't surprise me at all that that you would, uh, then again, that that's not to take anything away from the the reality of maybe that's what you were interacting with, which is fascinating.
1: Well, yeah, and I think, you know, whether you're someone who's had, you know, um, prior experiences or not, I think the more you dig into these things, it's almost as if the, the phenomenon or the phenomena themselves, it's almost as if they know, you know, it's almost like a, an alarm bell goes off with them along the lines of, oh, he's thinking about this or she's thinking about that,
2: Hmm.
1: and they'll pay you a visit, you know. I mean, it's not that as simple, but um, I think the more you get into the paranormal, the more you begin to experience paranormal activity. Somehow, whatever these phenomena phenomena are, they seem to know, I know it sounds bizarre, but it's, it's as if they know that when we're thinking about them, you know, and then they kind of latch on to us.
0: Sure. So. yeah. Well, if all consciousness is connected and some schools of thought that that's believed, then that wouldn't surprise me at all. That wouldn't, uh, yeah, absolutely. Let me read another uh, uh, individual from our Facebook community that wrote in, if I may uh, share with you. Yes, yeah, sure. um, This person says, quote, I was born in 1959 and between the ages of say four and eight, I repeatedly saw the hat man, and this person call it out for that the hat man for me it looked like he was wearing a fedora and a cloak my mother would tell me it was just my overactive imagination I would be in bed asleep I believe and open my eyes looking down to the foot of my bed where he would be standing then while I watched while I watched energy waves would rise from behind him and expand into the room now, that's the part that I found interesting there. Energy waves would rise behind him and expand into the room. Does that sound familiar to you at all, that aspect?
1: Yes, and I think, you know, that we could make a good case that um, to some degree these things are energy-based, which may explain, you know, this whole, in simple terms, feeding process, you know, of draining us of energy, mm-hmm. um, which would make sense if they themselves are some sort of energy-based entity. But, um, you know, it's interesting when you talked about the cloaked angle because I wrote an article for the Mysterious Website article about two or three years ago called Men in Black Cloaks because uh, I got a handful of reports, like seven or eight, something like that, and they actually reached me in, like, clusters, which is something that happens occasionally. You know, I'll go without any reports for a while, and then suddenly I'll be, like, pummeled with numerous reports, and that happened with these cloak versions um where people had seen like the shadow man uh, the hat people and so on um but it was in the form of uh like a cloaked entity
2: mm-hmm. you know they could
1: see the, the like the, this long cloak kind of um swaying and that kind of cluster angle also occurred um when i was given over the course of a few weeks from people all around actually not just in the u.s but overseas as well where they dreamed of seeing, um, like the men in black, but wearing black gloves, which is something you hardly get. And but I got like again nine or ten cases out the blue of these entities being seen but wearing black gloves. So you know there are a few spin-offs like the you know the black gloves, the mm-hmm. cloak versions, rather than just the suit. So um, mm-hmm. you know I think there are different aspects to this phenomenon that, you know, we don't understand why they slightly manifest in different ways you know, compared to
0: something that someone else saw. Right. Well, I I think I saw the post that you did in Mysterious Universe, right? MysteriousUniverse.com, which is a fabulous website I would recommend to everyone on the cluster angle. I I do recall seeing that and I do find that fascinating. And again, Nick, you know, we're kind of dancing around a few subjects here, one of which is this whole idea of the collective consciousness again and shared experiences. It seems to keep coming back as a theme. You know, now a, a cluster of events, I don't know what would, would um, denote that in your research. Is it five, ten, a hundred more? Uh, that's not necessarily what we would call the collective, but yet it's happening in groups, which means are we somehow at some level tied into some sort of a field? We've heard it called the zero point field or the, you know, the Akashic, who knows? What?
1: What? Well, <clears throat> yeah I think I think that's definitely part of it, and again, it sort of emphasizes this strange connection we have to them that they have to us um but again, you know, I don't think we've sort of really fully understand as to why that is the case, but um you know mm-hmm. I think the important thing to note is that the reason we know all these entities exist, whether it's a hatman the shadow people, men in black, women in black, black black-eyed children, the slender man. The reason we see them is because they make sure that we see them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like um, (laughs) we don't see them at random. Um, They make an effort to appear before us. So again, you know, we've got this angle where there's like this, you know, symbiotic symbiotic situation where um, there is a connection. Mm -hmm. And... Whether it's food, whether it's energy, whether it's you know whether they require us to believe in them so they exist, you know, but kind of like yeah. thought form angle. Yeah, um, you know, if we forget about them, they don't exist anymore. Right. You know? And um, maybe that's why there haven't been, you know, the in, three or four years ago the Slenderman reports were at their height, um, and that was when the, the two girls in Walkershire, Wisconsin, stabbed. One of yes, friends, I recall that. Men, mm-hmm. Yeah, in the name of the Slenderman and that was it. and that was when everything was at its height. I don't get as many Slender uh, Slenderman reports today as I did then. So I kind of wonder sometimes if we we focus on them for a while, it gives them more power hmm. and strength and and, re- and a, re- a sense of reality. We move away and people don't see them anymore because that imagery dies away. And the entities quite literally die away, and we then create another one. Maybe that's why, you know, in the distant, well, not the distant past, but centuries ago, people swore they saw fairies and goblins and things like that. Where if you go back 500 years, the number of reports were clearly far more, you know, than you ever have today. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's because people think of fairies as just fairy tales and. So the, the will to believe goes away and so the phenomenon goes away and, and is replaced by something else that is seen as being uh, relevant and, um, and plausible for the people of this century or that century.
0: You're bringing up some aspects that are just really uh, going into a deeper, uh, even quasi-scientific, uh, I'm thinking of the whole idea of the quantum model and the observer effect. You know, again, I think the elephant in the room is consciousness. (laughs) I don't know that we can avoid it, uh, uh, Nick, that this is a factor that is ubiquitous throughout every aspect of this phenomenon. I think that is completely, um, it's stunning, really. But, you know, in this regard, and I'm looking at the time, we're winding down, and I want you to talk about your brand new book before we go. So let me see if I can get this last one, and then we're going to move to your new book, because it's great. Sure. Have you got, I believe you have talked about this before, if I'm not mistaken, individuals. Now, obviously, when we think of uh, these visitors, if you will, coming to people, oftentimes what you'll see is or you'll hear that they're in a doorway and they're doing they're doing nothing but observe, observing the individual that's frightened. But on occasion, I have heard of cases of uh, individuals being physically attacked by these beings. Have you?
1: Um. I don't have many cases like that um, at all, you know, where there's been sort of violent activity. Um, I can really only think of probably, uh, literally a handful, hmm. um, and and even in those cases, you know, it's more just getting close to the person and, you know, and intimidating them by just, you know, staring at them from like a foot away, that kind of thing in their space. but. although most of these cases are terrifying, for the most part, it's just the presence and the appearance that I found at least, um, you know, creates the terror rather than, you know, a physical altercation or whatever.
0: Okay, that's interesting. I think our audience will probably, if they're not shuddering already, I'm Hopefully they'll feel a little bit more relieved, like, okay, at least they won't physically attack me if I happen
1: to Well, them. I mean, it'd be interesting, I, yeah. you know, this angle of whether, how we have this relationship to them without provoking things or, you know, putting suggestion in there. But it'd be interesting to see how many of your listeners, after listening to the show, might have experiences along these lines, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and not due, just due to dreaming because they listen to the show. But because the expectation of wow these things exist may cause them to exist in the in the life of the of the listener.
0: Absolutely, know? let's put that out there. Everyone listening, give us your feedback as they as they always do. They're so great. Well, listen, speaking of the individuals that are just interested in the subject in general, you have authored a slew of books covering the gamut of strange phenomena, Nick. You've been all over the map of high strangeness. But for those who would like to learn more about this specific phenomenon, which of your books would you recommend?
1: Um, well, a book probably that I did um, about three or four months ago called The Black Diary, and it's all deal, deals with men in black, women in black, mm-hmm. black-eyed children, black helicopters, you name it, hence the term The Black Diary. And it's called The Black Diary because it covers roughly about four years, 2014 to 18, and it's written like as if someone was reading my own journal. You know, it's sort of yeah. like a personal um, study and experiences of hitting the road and interviewing people about, you know, when they've seen the shadow people or the men in black or the women in black, et cetera. So it's like me sort of jumping in the car, you know, and heading out, into the night to interview this person or that person mm. so it's very much written like a diary and a journal but that one sort of covers although i've done books on the men in black and the women in black and so on this book sort of covers the whole thing as i said men in black women in black uh, black-eyed children black helicopters anything that's sort of you know, um, interconnected, and as I said, that one's called The Black Diary, and it came out about um, about four months ago.
0: Wow, I'd love to take a look at that one. Maybe we'll we'll do another show on that. That would be great. Okay. Well, speaking of books, let's talk about your latest, which uh, I believe is for sale now on Amazon and other fine bookstores. Called Top Secret Alien Abduction Files: What the Government Does Not Want You to Know. Tell us about that for a few minutes, if you
1: would. Yeah, sure. Well, um, basically the book um, is a a study of the alien abduction phenomenon. Now, of course, there have been dozens, if not hundreds, of books written on aspects of alien abductions, but the one angle that sort of has largely gone under the radar, so to speak, is what government agencies may know about it. And so for about the last 18 months, I've sort of quietly and carefully research this further and actually got a number of files through the Freedom of Information Act of both mm. the US and the UK and and it's very clear that although they don't have all the answers there are certain government agencies think tanks um, little projects and so on that clearly believe in the existence of the abduction phenomenon and in some cases they've even sort of approached the abductees themselves not in a threatening or warning way but to ask you know, would you be willing to speak to us about your experiences and, you know, can we call on you again if we have any questions? And clearly, you know, there are people in government who are very disturbed by these claims of people being kidnapped and taken away and implanted and um, and to the point where it's almost as if, well, exactly what's going on is this sort of like an epidemic of abductees being created for some nefarious purpose. That's one of the angles they were even looking at. And um, so to find out that, you know, the, for, him, for me, that there were, there are, I should say, people in government who are deeply concerned by the abduction phenomenon and have clandestinely sort of um, surveyed and kept watch on the abductees is, is sort of, um, it's like a very weird sort of cosmic form of espionage. you know?
0: mm. Interesting. That's a rabbit hole. I know you know that that is a deep rabbit hole where, you know, as I'm listening to that, I'm sure this is going to be a great book. We'll make sure to have a link to it. Thinking about a conversation uh, I had with uh, Mary Rodwell out of Australia when we were both oh, yeah. over in the UK together and, and talked about some individuals who are uh, not only abductees, but believe themselves to be related to some alien species that have been uh, taken by, let's say, intelligence, uh, certain aspects of intelligence. So there's there's different angles to this, as always. Do you think we'll ever get close to solving this big, huge mystery of all this stuff? Well, My God. I Will mean, we-
1: that's. I guess that's the big question. You know, we all want answering. Yeah. Um, I think. I think. I think the big problem, the problem more than anything else, is that we never seem to get the the upper hand. You know when. Um, these events occur. We're always, you know, the ones that are sort of, you know, pinned down on the bed, so to speak, and able to move. And hmm. so in, very rarely are we the ones who are calling the shots. And I think that's the problem. Um, but hmm. However these things work, however they interact with us, they clearly have a greater control of us than we do of them. Hmm. And inevitably, I think that is going to cause problems when it comes to us having the upper hand in fact i don't think for the most part there are hardly any cases where we've had the upper hand it's always us who are the terrified ones the victims the ones unable to move and the ones who are sort of fed upon and these things just go about their daily and nightly events um but we're just you know for the most part we remain their victims you know throughout the vast majority of all these reports
2: Mm.
0: That's a very good. And of course,
1: when you're the victims, you have a a, a lower chance of actually resolving it because, you know, in terms of the 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 agenda and so on, we're kind of out of the loop.
0: That's a very important point. You're you're I think you're helping me to put together my next conscious commentary, which will be next week. I think I want to do a takeoff on that. I that is a (laughs) that is a very important point. When we lose the victim mentality, maybe the mystery will end. And and it's still not an open and shut case. But I think if more of us took notice of this, what I'm going to call ubiquitous phenomena, because it's across the board, all sorts of things, including the alien abduction phenomena, and and not shoved it under the rug, and that opens up a whole other can of worms we can't get into now. Maybe we can we can start to have uh, some skin in the game of solving the mystery. So,
1: well, yeah, well, hopefully, you know, we, we can we can do that one day. But I right hope. now, at least, you know, it's it's not working in our favor.
0: Sure isn't. Let's get there, guys, shall we? <laughs> Listen, Nick Redfern, what a pleasure to finally have you on. And I certainly hope it's not the last time. In fact, I'm going to make sure it isn't. If you'll come back, we would love to have you. Yeah,
1: I'll be happy to, Alexis. I'll be happy to be back again.
0: Well, listen, don't hang up. I'm going to say so long to the Higher Journeys audience for now. We will talk to you soon. And again, make sure you go to the links for all the great books. I'm going to see if I can list them all uh, of Nick's wonderful books uh, on our Higher Journeys website. So until then, we will talk to you next time. Take care.